A reading in the New International Version, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will come, not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Is that yours? Is that yours? My drama. I love that. Uh, I love that new picture for the sermon series. Thanks to Cam for that. Although the waves are a bit small, aren't they? Uh, I got some surfing in over the holidays and. Uh, just keep looking up at that and thinking, you're not going to catch anything much on that. And I reckon it's closing out. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was great. Uh, it was great, wasn't it, to, uh, to, to farewell Kate this morning. Um, uh, something I've been thinking about and I was reminded of as we were doing that. Uh, I read a little while ago, I was reading through Philippians, uh, and Paul says to Timothy, uh, Paul says to the Philippians, uh, here's Timothy, he's the best person that I have. There's no one like him, and I can't wait to send him to you. Uh, and I was just so struck by that, uh, because I think my inclination, and I think the inclination of so many of us, uh, is when we find someone who's on fire for the gospel, who's engaged in ministry, uh, who's equipped for ministry, we want to hang on to them. Uh, and actually, Paul had this great mindset of saying, no, actually, the best thing that I can do uh, for the gospel uh, is to send Timothy to you. And so it's great for us to be able to do that as a church, to send uh, somebody out, uh, and not just Kate, but others as well, uh, to those who need to hear the gospel. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who uh, raises up uh, and who also brings down. A God who loves and a God who forgives, a God who shows his displeasure 
but a God who loves to welcome back those who have strayed. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a great sense of that this morning as we think on the blessing of forgiveness. Uh, Lord, words are not enough uh, to describe this gift. Uh, And Lord, I feel incompetent and inadequate to be able to do that. Uh, And so we pray for a great measure of your, your spirit that I might speak, but that our hearts together might be open to grasp the enormity of your gift in Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, I don't know what the best gift that you've ever received is. Uh, Christmas has come and gone, uh, and maybe you didn't get any of the gifts that you really wanted. Uh, Maybe you got the perfect gift. Maybe you'd done that thing... Uh, you know, where you get the catalogues in the mail and you just circle the things uh, that you're kind of interested in and leave it in a strategic place around the house hoping that somebody uh, will find uh, the catalogue. Maybe you did that and you got exactly what you wanted. Uh, I got uh, got an unexpected gift this Christmas. It was a great gift uh, from a friend. It was a book. Uh, And it was just such a a fitting gift. It was one of those gifts that you think, I would never have thought of that. But when you receive it, you think, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly, that's a great gift. Uh, Or maybe the best gift you received is not a a birthday present. Uh, It's not a Christmas present, sorry, but a birthday present. Someone told me recently that the gift that they got for their birthday was a trip to the Melbourne Ashes Test, all five days. Uh, That might not be your idea of a great birthday present. (laughs) Can you get a refund on that? Uh, Especially this year, right? The Ashes Test this year is in Melbourne not forgettable. It was forgettable. But um, I reckon one of the best birthday presents I've ever got is, uh, is from my sisters, my two sisters. They put their money together, and they got me a ticket to go and see Les Mis, the, the redone version of Les Mis in Sydney uh, a couple of years ago. And we made, kind of made an evening of it, went to Sydney. Uh, and it was great. The only, the only problem was, actually, and I hadn't, I hadn't realised this until, until the music started, the only problem was going to be sitting there through the whole show without singing any of the words, you know? <laughs> you in the barricades, listen to this! Um, uh, and actually, there were a few moments that were dangerously close <laughs> to me making a fool of myself. Uh, but it was a great gift. It was, it was good fun. Uh, I don't know what your, your greatest gift, the greatest gift you've ever received is, but in this psalm, David is talking about the greatest gift that he has ever had, and, uh, he's, and he's so excited about this gift that he wants other people to know about it as well. He thinks that this gift is the greatest gift that anybody can receive. And according to David, the best gift that we can receive is the gift of forgiveness. Not just the gift of forgiveness, but the gift of forgiveness from God, the God of heaven and earth. And David wants us to know, he wants you and I to know, that this is the best gift. He wants us to know why it's the best gift, and he wants us to know how it is that we can receive it. So first of all then, why is forgiveness the best gift that we can ever receive? Well, David tells us in the psalm, he begins with these words in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Why is forgiveness from God the best gift? Why is it blessed or happy or joyful to be forgiven by God? 
David says, because our sins are covered and they're not counted against us. Sin is the stuff that we do against God. It's the stuff that we do which offends God and hurts God. Uh, Sin is all the ways that we trample over God, uh, that we trample over uh, the God who made us and the God who loves us. It's anything that we do that rejects God's design for us and for his world. God has made us, he's created us, he's given us everything that we have, he gives us every single breath that we breathe. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be living here if God wasn't this moment actively upholding us. He keeps us alive and so we owe him everything. There's nothing that we have or, or, or that we are that we don't owe to God. But we hurt God, we reject God, we bite the hand that feeds us, as the saying goes. We fight against God. We try to wrestle control of our lives out of his hands. God says, don't live that way. And what do we do? We think to ourselves, well, actually, that's exactly the way that I'm going to live. If you do that to any other person in the world, what happens? Well, it doesn't end well, right? Uh, If you treat somebody else, if you treat a, a normal human being with contempt and indifference, the relationship falls to pieces. They probably won't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, they might put up with you for a bit. You know, most people are kind of generous up to a point, right? So they go, yeah, yeah, I kind of follow along for a bit. But after a while, they just go, you know what? I, I, I'm done. I'm out of here. See you later. <laughs> uh, and there might be some people here who know that experience. Uh, you know, pr- actually, probably. Probably many of us, if we've lived long enough, have known the experience of really, really hurting somebody, really wrecking a relationship. Uh, maybe you, you did something catastrophically bad and that, you know, there was just no turning back from that. But maybe it was just that kind of that slow niggle over, you know, over five years or ten years or twenty years. You just kind of, you just, you just ground them down with your rudeness, your anger, you know, your obstinance, whatever it is. How do you come back from that? Well, actually, the truth is that there isn't anything that you can do to come back from that. There's nothing that you can do, really, to make that right again. I mean, you can take steps in the, you can take positive steps in the right direction, but ultimately, actually, what's needed is for the person that you've offended to forgive you. And you can't make that happen, right? You can't make them forgive you. They have to give it as a gift. That's their choice. It's their mercy that you need. And the same is true with God. You and I have absolutely trashed God. We've destroyed our relationship with God. And there's nothing that we can do to fix that up. We can't earn that back. You know, we can't make God forgive us. We can't twist his arm. It's his choice. Will he do it? That's what we need. Forgiveness has to be a free gift from God. And David says, yet David says, that's exactly what he's experienced. He can't make God do it, and yet God's given it to him. God's given it to him for free. How blessed is he whose trespasses have been forgiven. It's one thing, isn't it, to wreck a relationship with another person. But what do you do when the relationship that you've wrecked is with God? You know, the God who who gives us life. Well, David says he's blessed, he's happy, he's full of joy because he's been forgiven by God. God has covered over his sins 
so that they can't be seen. In another part of the Bible, God says that he's buried them in the depths of the sea. So far down that, that, uh, that no one can see them. Not even God himself. And David says that he's blessed because God doesn't count his sins against him anymore. It's as though nothing's ever happened. He doesn't remember. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's such an extraordinary idea. God's forgiveness is so complete. God's forgiveness is so complete, so comprehensive, so thorough that David's relationship with God is now untouched by anything that's gone before. Completely untouched. There's not even a remnant. There's not even a kind of a thread of that former life which now interferes in his relationship with God. Why is forgiveness the best gift? It's the best gift because it puts back together what we could never put back together. It puts back together something that's been smashed into smithereens, but which God can reconstruct to make as good as new. It puts back together our relationship with God. With the God who loves us and who made us. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of getting something new. It always seems to happen to me when I get something new. And it's a great treasure, isn't it? You, know, you get something new and you think, well, I'm just going to look after this. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's going to be pristine for the next 20 years. Well, that's what I think anyway. Maybe you don't care. But I get it and I think I'm going to look after this thing. Um, and then what happens is, you know, maybe not even a week later, <laughs> maybe even just a couple of days, you know, someone comes running through the house, they knock it over. You know, the Ming vase, there it goes. It's gone. Um, the, you know, the new telly gets smashed. You buy a jacket and you walk too close to something and it catches, you tear a big hole in it, you scratch the table, whatever it is. And you might be able to fix it, right? You might be able to kind of patch it up again and it's still, you know, you can still use it. You can still use it for the next 20 years. But every time you look at it, you realise, don't you, that it's just not the same. You look down at the jacket and it might be stitched back up together again, but there's still the mark where it was torn. And you invite the guests over for dinner and you kind of fix up the scratch a little bit, but it's still there. <laughs> and you can remember what happened and how good it used to look. It's always, this, it's never the same, is it? It's always something that was good, was pristine was perfect, has been broken and has been patched up but is never the same again, isn't it? I think, I think that's just true of our lives, isn't it? That our lives are something that was pristine, they held the promise of perfection, of beauty, of glory and they've been broken and we just can't ever put them back together again. They're always smudged, always marred. Never the same again. But you know, David says that when God forgives us in Jesus, it's not like that. There's one thing in our life that's never like that. 
Our relationship with God is not a relationship that was good, that has been broken and is now fixed, but you know, it's still carrying those scars of all those things that we did against God. It's not like that. No, when God forgives us, he makes everything completely new. You look at it and you go, I would never have known that anything ever happened. (laughs) Imagine that. Think of all the relationships that you have with people and imagine that. Imagine those relationships untouched by anything that's ever gone wrong. Utterly forgotten. Never remembered. David says that's what it's like with us and God. But you know, I think that's so hard for us to accept and it's so hard for us even to get our minds around. It's so hard for us to understand that because it's so far from our own experience. You know, so often when we forgive, we keep remembering. We can't help bringing up what people have done against us. And we can't help, you know, the, the things in the past affecting how we treat people today. We struggle not to be bitter about how somebody has hurt us in the past. You know, it's, it's almost instinctive. We see them come into the room and we think, oh, great, you know, remember what they did? We can't, we can't help doing that, even when they've apologised and when we've said that we forgive them. We, we can't go back. We can't get our heads around what it's like for God to be able to start again because we just can't do it in our lives. But when God forgives, he covers over our sins so completely that he doesn't remember it anymore. So that 10 years later, we're still praying about the same sin. We're still saying, God, would you please forgive me for what I did 10 years ago? And God says, actually, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. What, what, what do you mean? I, and you, what, don't you remember? Don't you remember there was that sin? I, I, you know, I've been thinking about it for the last 10 years. And God says, I don't. When, when was that? When did that happen? I don't think I remember that. God's ability to forget our sin knows no bounds through the cross of Jesus Christ. We struggle so much, don't we, to receive the forgiveness of God because we struggle to understand just how complete the forgiveness of God really is. Uh, People often say that what we need to do is to learn to forgive ourselves. But actually, that's not really our problem, I don't think. Uh, That's not really our problem at all. Actually, what we need to learn to do is to receive the full and free forgiveness of God. What we mistake for our inability to forgive ourselves is actually our inability to accept that God forgives us. At root, that's the problem. What we need to learn to do is that when we're tempted to recall all the things that we've ever done and all that would keep us from God, what we need to keep reminding ourselves that God has forgiven us, that he's buried it in the depths of the sea, and that he doesn't count our sins against us. I don't know what sins are lurking in your past, but I do know uh, that whatever they are, they are not too big to be covered over by the death of Jesus Christ and the full and free forgiveness of God in him. Uh, It might be uh, an abortion. Uh, Whatever the reason, you were young, you felt pressured into it, uh, but you can't forget it. 
You know, it was one, one day, one act. And yet God here says he can forgive that. And he can cover that over. Uh, it might be a sexual relationship with someone. Uh, maybe it was a boyfriend or, or, or a girlfriend at, at, at the time. Maybe it was a one-night stand, a moment of folly. Uh, maybe you're, you were married and the person uh, wasn't your, your spouse. Uh, maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was years of your life wasted in drugs and alcohol. Maybe it wasn't just using them, but maybe it was all the stupid stuff that you did when you, when you, were, when you were on them. Maybe it was theft uh, or cheating or a, a dodgy business deal. Maybe it was that you deliberately chose to abandon God and now you wonder to yourself, how could God ever take me back? How could God take me back when I knew how good he was, when I knew who he was, when I knew what he'd done? How could I ever come back when I knew that and turned away from him? I chose to leave. Or maybe it's not sin in the past. Maybe it's not some big sin in the past, but it's the ongoing reality of sin in your life. Maybe day after day it's the same sins. It's day after day you're pleading with God that, that you'd be able to conquer something, to, that he'd free you from something, and day after day you keep stumbling back into it. And the reason that you can't forget sin is because it's your constant companion. It's there with you wherever you go. And it's not just the so-called big sins. Sometimes, actually, the sins which plague us, which, which, which oppress us, are not the big sins, but actually the little sins. It's the offhanded, hurtful comment, or the selfishness, the jealousy, uh, the mistakes, the people that we hurt without thinking, or the things that we do against God without thinking. And what can be so crippling about those sins is that there's just so many of them. There's millions and millions and millions of them that just compound day after day after day after day. We don't have to think hard, I don't think, to imagine all the sins that might plague us. And maybe you don't have to think very hard at all. But God says that he can cover them over that he won't count them against us, that he'll bury them in the depths of the sea. You can't forget. No, every day you remember. But God can forget. It's extraordinary. God can forget. The God who remembers can forget what we can't forget. That's the blessing that David received and that's the blessing that's open to you if you receive it in Jesus Christ. God is saying to you here today in Psalm 32, he's saying to you, he's saying to you right now, full and free forgiveness is available for you in Jesus Christ. You can start again with God. A pristine relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Well, to be forgiven is to be blessed because it's the greatest gift that we can ever receive. But... Sometimes it helps also not only to see the positive, but I guess also to see the kind of the other side of the coin, uh, to see the negative, what it's like to be unforgiven. And so in the next few verses, David does that. He recounts his experience of being in that situation, of what it was like for him to, to, 
to not know the forgiveness of God. He says in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What was it like for David before he knew the forgiveness of God? He says his bones wasted away. It could be that David was really experiencing some kind of uh, terrible illness, but probably more likely he's just using the imagery of illness to kind of capture, uh, to conjure up in our minds the, how he felt emotionally. So he felt his sin made him feel like you do when your body is wasting away from disease. He was in agony. Uh, his unaddressed sin was causing him to waste away. Then he says, day and night your hand was heavy on me. Uh, most of us know that feeling, I, I suspect, of, of just being weighed down by stuff. Now it's just it's a heavy weight on our life. And day and night. You know, it's not just kind of that fleeting moment uh, where, where you just kind of have this sense of the, kind of the overwhelmingness of life. But it's that kind of, you wake up again the next morning and it's still there. Uh, and, you, and you try and get through the day and you think, maybe it'll, maybe it'll get better. And you get, to the, you get to the end of the day, it's night time, you think, no, <laughs> maybe tomorrow it'll be better. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Can't go on. Unable to put one foot in front of the other. Trapped, powerless. Unable to escape the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's how David felt. His sin made him feel weighed down and trapped. Day after day after day after day. No escape. Your hand was heavy on me. Then he says that his strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. According to uh, the Victorian Health website... Uh, heat kills more Australians uh, every year than natural disaster. Uh, exposure, excessive exposure to heat can cause cramps, dizziness, fainting, nausea and vomiting. And if things get bad enough, the body's internal organs begin to shut down and the results can be catastrophic. Heat can destroy us, can sap us. And David says, that's how I felt. That's how I felt when my sin was unaddressed. I felt like my body was shutting down. I felt like my mind was shutting down. And notice that this distress that David was experiencing was not accidental, but it was actually God actively making his life difficult. He says that it was God's hand on him that made him feel like this. That is, God is doing this deliberately. Our sin brings consequences. When we sin against God and live a life opposed to God, God doesn't just go off and kind of sulk in a corner. Oh, well, maybe they'll come back to me someday. Our sin brings God's judgment and anger. He has the right to punish us. He has the right to be angry because he's given us everything. And we've just gone, you know what, actually I'm not that interested. He's God, he made us, and we belong to him. And here in this psalm, what David is talking about is he's saying, he's giving us a a description of what it's like to taste just ever so slightly the wrath of God. 
He's, he's giving us a picture of what it's like to taste the wrath of God just ever so slightly. What's it like just to catch a glimpse of eternity without God? It's a terrible thought, isn't it? What's that like? Well, it's like this. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. Sapped. Felt like I'd been walking in the desert for 30 days. Barely anything to drink, nothing to eat. It's fair to say, I think, that we don't always have such a keen awareness of the consequences of our sin as David did here in this psalm. But I think it's definitely true that, like in David's case, sometimes God does do this kind of work in people's lives. Sometimes God just opens up to people the reality of hell, the reality of judgment. Uh, I knew a guy uh, who spent a year under that burden. Terrible. Just terrible. Just awful. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't be consoled. Could barely work. Just awful. And yet, actually in God used that to draw him to the cross and to Jesus Christ. It's the most awful thing in the world that he had to see, isn't it? A glimpse of the judgment of God. And yet in the end it was a mercy because it turned him from the way that he was going to finding in the open arms of Jesus the love and the forgiveness of God. It was a mercy of God to show him the depth of his sin so that he might see the measure of God's forgiveness in Jesus. And that's what, that's what God was doing in David's life. David says, until he knew the terror of his sins, of his unaddressed, of his, of his sin, he left sin unaddressed. Until he knew the, the horror of God's wrath, he just kind of glossed over the sin in his life. But God drove him to despair. And, so, and in doing that, drove him also to forgiveness as well. Well, I don't know about you, perhaps... You have tasted something of that, glimpsed uh, something of the wrath of God. Maybe that's uh, where you find yourself now. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a present reality. And maybe, actually, you don't feel that now, but maybe this week or this month or this year, you might, you might know that. Or perhaps you'll know somebody who feels that. Well, the message of this psalm is that the free forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ is sufficient for your despair. It's, it's amazing. that that's, How bad did David feel? I couldn't go on. How blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins the Lord does not count against him. Wow. There's no way back, No. Enviable is the person who knows the full and free forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. But actually, while some people, like David, are from time to time aware of the wrath of God and the judgment of God, actually many people just have no idea. Many people just have no idea how God feels about 
the sin in their life. But, you know, feeling safe is not actually the same thing as being safe. There's a huge difference, right? You can feel safe about something, but that doesn't mean that you actually are safe. Uh, Even in ordinary life, we don't always know the danger that we're in. While I was away in Sydney, as I said, I managed to get some surfing in. Uh, and uh, part of that, through, kind of through that, or as a result of that, I, was, uh, I came across this website by this guy called Dr. Rip. Uh, that's, not, that's not actually his real name. Um, but he's, he's an Australian coastal scientist, and he kind of specialises in public education about uh, rips in the surf and stuff like that. Uh, and he has these rip of the month photos. It's fascinating. Do you want to put that up, Jordan? Uh, so this is a photo that he took of a photo, of a promotional photo, in Sydney Airport, showing Bondi Beach. Uh, And what he points out is that actually there's about four groups of people that are standing right in the middle of rips. You can see the kind of the dark patches up the middle of the photo. And all these people are just kind of swimming swimming away in what could be actually quite dangerous uh, conditions. Fortunate that uh, in the photo the waves are pretty small uh, and that the tide is low, but you know, at high tide and with bigger surf, that, that could actually be quite a dangerous situation. You know, here they are, they're in the surf, they're at Australia's most iconic beach, they're swimming, they think they're okay, actually, they could be in a really dangerous situation. Feeling safe, thanks Jordan, feeling safe is not actually the same thing as being safe. And that's what's true in real life is, in, in daily life is true in our relationship with God as well. Just because we feel safe in our relationship with God doesn't mean that we are. We don't always know the danger that we're in with, with respect to God. You might think that you're completely okay with God, but at the end of the day, how you feel about your relationship with God is not the kind of the measuring stick of whether you're okay with God. Well, I feel okay, therefore I am. No, it doesn't work like that. The measure of our relationship with God is not how we feel, but whether we know Jesus Christ, whether we've entrusted our lives to him. That's the only thing that matters. And in fact, you might feel like, David, I can't possibly go on. My life's at an end. But if you know Jesus, you're actually, you're in a much better position than the person who thinks to themselves, well, I'm really great, but but I don't know Jesus. You can feel, you can feel terrible, but if you know Jesus Christ, you're blessed because you know the full and free forgiveness of, Jesus, of, of God in Jesus. You might think that you're sitting pretty, that God loves you, that when you die you'll go to be with him, but what matters isn't how you feel, but whether you belong to Jesus. Have you entrusted your life to him? That's the question. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus Christ? Well, forgiveness is the greatest gift that we can receive. Uh, And if we don't receive that great gift, it's not a matter of indifference. No, it leaves us in the worst place that we can be. But I guess maybe the most important question then is, how do we actually receive it? How do we receive that gift of God? Well, in the last part of the psalm, David explains that. He says in verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What's the path to forgiveness from God? It is to acknowledge our sin and not try to cover it up. The path to forgiveness is to be honest with God about what you've done and who you are. 
The path of forgiveness, let me say that again, the path of forgiveness is to be honest with God about what you've done uh, and about who you are. And David says that when he did that, when he was honest, God forgave him the guilt of his sin. It was that simple. Before that, he felt utterly condemned. He'd been, he'd been trying to hide his sin. So in verse 3, he says, It was when I kept silent that my bones wasted away. Silence was the problem. He'd sinned against God. That had brought the condemnation in the first place. But silence had compounded the problem. It had made it worse. It had left his sin unaddressed and forgiveness unreceived. That's what David means when he says in verse 2, when the, the, the blessed person is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. That is, they're a person who is not trying to hide stuff from God. They're a person who's open before God. The blessed person is the person who's open before God and knows that the best place to be is to be completely exposed before God and to be completely known by God. That's a hard truth, I think, for us to kind of really live out. Because our natural inclination is to hide stuff away. Our natural inclination is to hide what we've done from God or to try and justify and excuse sin. So you might just uh, try and forget that anything's ever happened, to just kind of press on with life. Uh, That's what David had tried to do. He'd slept with uh, someone who wasn't his wife. He got her pregnant. He then had her husband killed. Uh, And he was just kind of, you know, he thought, well, I'm just going to try and get on with my life. You know, not a great situation, but I'm just going to push on. Maybe no one will notice. But, uh, but what happened was that he, his unaddressed sin crushed him. So you might just try and get on with your life and leave sin unaddressed. Or you might try to justify what you've done to kind of pretend that it was actually more noble than it really was. Uh, that's what, uh, you know... That's what we often try and do. We often try and go, no, actually, I think, I, I think that I did that for the right reasons. I think that was the right thing to do. When it's abundantly clear that actually that's not the case at all. And if we're particularly clever, what we do is we try and get other people to justify our sin for us. So it goes something like this. We tell the story of what happened, how difficult it was. We say something like, yeah, it was, wow, it was really difficult. It was a really difficult decision that I had to make. Um, you know, but I think in the end, it was that, you know, I had to make that decision. And that's the cue for the people around you to say, you know, I think you're right. I think you did the right thing. And then we go home, don't we, feeling justified, you know, and we don't just have to worry about what's well, just self-justification because actually they've helped you out and justified your sin for you. But actually, your sin is unaddressed with God, isn't it? We try and hide our sin under a cloud of self-justification and justification from others. But how stupid that is. How stupid to try and hide our sin from God when God already knows what we've done anyway. It's the definition of idiotic to try and hide from somebody something that they already know. And yet we're so profoundly stupid that that's what we try and do. So profoundly committed to the idea that our best, our, our best hope for safety is to hide our sin. We're so committed to that idea that we, that, that we don't confess our sin and receive the full and free forgiveness of God. How stupid to hide our sins when the outcome of honesty with God is forgiveness. And when the outcome of dishonesty is wrath and judgment. It's so counterintuitive, but David says that the best place that we can go when we've 
offended God, when we sinned against God, is back to the very person that we've offended. Back to the God that we've hurt. That's the safest place to be in the loving arms of the God that we've sinned against. But how can it be so simple? You know, how can that be? How can it be that that's a safe place to go? David doesn't actually really explain that, does he? He just says, he just says that that's true. He says it's blessed to be forgiven. He says that it's safe to go back to God, but he doesn't actually explain why that is. That's because David was looking forward through the mists of time to what God would do in Jesus. We know, we have the privilege of hindsight. We know what God has done. Don't we? We know that God has sent his own son into our world to take on the ignominy of our sin, to die on a cross, cursed by God, to rise again from the dead. That We know that Jesus died in our place for our sins if we trust in him. That's why it's so simple. That's why it's so safe to go back to God. <laughs> because all the sins that we've ever committed, and even the sins... <laughs> that we haven't yet, are completely spent in the death of God's own son. There's nothing left. God is not so unjust as to punish sin twice. If he's punished it once, he has no need to punish it again. That's why it's safe to go back to God, because God has exhausted his wrath in his own son. And all that's left for us to do is to come and receive that gift in Jesus Christ. To take hold of it by faith. And to entrust our lives to Jesus. And because that's the best thing to do, David says, do it. He encourages us to receive what he has received. He says in verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. <laughs> he can't be got. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David had ex experienced the best gift that anyone can ever receive. But he doesn't want to just leave it like that. He doesn't want to, this psalm is not just saying, can you see out there the most amazing gift that anyone can receive? Can you see it? Can you see it in the distance? Look at it and marvel. That's not what David's saying. He's saying, do you see that gift? It's for you as well. And you can receive it if you entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. Don't be like the creature that has to be led with a bit and a bridle. Don't be a, don't be a stubborn idiot. So committed to keeping your sins secret from God that all you know is the wrath and the judgment of God. Don't be a fool. Many of the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Two options. Sorrow, 
or steadfast love? Which one have you received? Which person are you? Are you the stubborn fool, the mule? Or are you the blessed and the happy and the forgiven sinner? Let's pray. Lord God, who is a God like you? Who pardons our iniquities and covers over all our sins? Who is a God like you? You can be so offended, so deeply rejected, and yet so merciful. Who is a God like you who could take on the cost of our forgiveness? At such great cost to yourself, the life of your own son. And Lord, we pray that what is expensive and costly for you would not be cheap to us. We pray that we would not be so committed to our own self-righteousness or our own self-confidence or our own desire to hide away in the dark or our own desire to keep hold of our sin. We pray that we would not be so committed to those things that we would fail to receive your goodness and love in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that none of us here this morning would miss out on the grace of God. And Lord, if there are those here among us too who are burdened and convicted of sin, Lord, we ask that they might know the blessing and the assurance of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.